when the wicket fell, what I got in my ear was uh, the countdown from third umpire, Kumar Dhanmasena, for any possible review. So it was like 12, 11, 10, 9, then just suddenly somebody jumped in my back. Even through that very dodgy audio recorded on my phone, there's no mistaking the moment as Safian Sharif trapped Mark Wood to confirm that epic win over England just over two years ago. And the man who had one of the best views in the house that day is my guest today, international umpire Alan Hago. Alan, very warm welcome to the podcast. At uh, the time of recording, we're still waiting for the return of competitive cricket, although training was back on this week. So how have the last few weeks been going for you? Good afternoon, Jake. Um, yeah, I've been furloughed for the last three months. Um, thankfully, the weather's been very good, so I've been kept active. Good work about the house, the garden, etc., etc. Um, Cricket-wise, we've had weekly Zoom meetings with uh, the, the regional the Scottish panel, um, chaired by Ian Ramage and overlooked by David Jukes. I have a weekly training session on Skype with Dennis Burns, one of the international coaches, which we do some TV umpiring. And uh, Sunday night we have, a, we have a quiz with the guys from the, the local club, the Presswood Club, which we, we take a turn at doing that every week. So yeah, been, been kept going. I say the weather's been good, so been too bad. As I say, it's brilliant to be able to talk to you today. And I suppose we have to start with that game at the Grange. You were standing at square leg when the final wicket fell. What was it like being on the field at that particular moment? And what do you remember of the game all round? Well, at that moment, um, I was obviously very, very aware that there was only eight or nine balls left and it was, it was getting very tight. So you're, you're, you're concentrating hard. When the wicket fell, what I got in my ear was uh, the countdown from the third, third umpire, Kumar Dhanmasena, for any possible review. So it was like 12, 11, 10, 9, and then just suddenly somebody jumped in my back and there was mayhem all around. I wasn't aware of anything going on the pitch up to that point. And then a few guys that probably should have known best that I played against uh, in my time, so there were no spring chickens. Yeah, and, and the lead up to the match, um, it was quite apprehensive. First game I'd done in Blyden Sky, first DRS match. Um, I did my preparation as normal, looked up... Uh, all the, the ODI regulations, um, a bit more work to do for this one with the DRS, uh, which I'd never been trained on, so did quite a lot of work on that myself. I got in touch with uh, a couple of umpires that I knew from the international scene, Chris Gaffney, who was in the elite panel. Chris was our pro in 2001, and Michael Goff, who had stood with in Jersey the year before, so I got some pointers from these guys, you know, what to expect in a game like that, and that, that, that was helpful too. The day before the game, we, we go to the, the net sessions of the teams, Scotland train in the morning, England train in the afternoon. That, that's good for getting to know what the, what the bowlers are like, um, all their variations, trying to build a report up with them as well. But what I did note was that the, the practice pitches were very, very good. And the match wicket um, is always good at the Grangeman. It, it looks an absolute belt, so that, that can be done a wee bit, settled me. 
um, I realised that it was probably going to be a, a run fest and I would just be counting balls for most of the day. On the day itself, once you're on the field, it's, it's, it's another game and you, you're actually quite relaxed about it all. It was a pretty easy game to umpire for reasons I've just stated. It was a, it was a good pitch. After four overs, I remember David Willey had walked by Kyle Kutzer. I think the two of them knew each other from their days at Northampton. And David said to Kyle, something like, Kyle, is this an absolute road or is my bowling just shit? So they, they both had a bit of a laugh about that. But um, that day, Scotland's batting was as good as I've witnessed anywhere. It was absolutely phenomenal. And they were just so positive, so much belief in themselves. At the interlude, in fact, uh, Maria Erasmus was sitting at tea and he, he didn't think England would get that total, which actually surprised me quite a bit. But he's a guy that's been around the block and he was right. Bearst to his 100 was phenomenal. I've never seen back like that in my life. Um, and he got to his 100 off 54 balls. I'd, I'd put that in my earpiece again from Kumar. And I just mentioned to him 54 balls and he just muttered back too many. But okay. But I think uh, another 10 overs of Mr. Bearstone, it, it might have been a, a slightly different outcome. Uh, we got him at the right, sorry, Scotland got him at the right time. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the just watching that innings, it, it was the most extraordinary sound I remember of the ball coming off the bat I'd never heard a sound quite like that you know that Bairstow innings I mean we've witnessed that phenomenal innings from Callum before and 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 Kyle and 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 Matt Cross and Munsey and so on but that that sound off off Bairstow's bat I'll always remember and he just made it look so easy um looks if he could just do what he wanted it probably was getting too easy for him and he probably lost a wee bit of concentration but and I say that, that wicket um, gave Scotland some belief. Um, they kept chipping away and they got the, the flurry of wickets in the middle and uh, they really did believe a bigger partnership at the end with, um, who was it again, Moeen? Yeah, Moeen looked like looked like he'd taken it away, didn't he, just at the end? But uh... Yeah, the, 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 big, the big the big bowler from, from Durham, I can't remember his name. Oh, Plunkett. Uh, they'd put out a bit. Yeah. Plunkett, yeah, Plunkett, yeah. But, uh, they put on about 70 on the game in the bag again and threw it away. So, yeah, incredible. But as an umpire, it was, it was strange at the end. I mean, if, if I'd been in the crowd, I guess I might have been on the field with some of these forfeiture boys. <laughs> but it's a different outcome when you're the umpire. You're, you're getting off. You're, OK, you've, you've done a reasonable job. You've got out there alive. And that, that's really your, your only concern at that point. <laughs> It was nice after it as well. I, I spent a bit of time with my wife, Fiona and Samantha, who were standing just to the side. Uh, my friend Paul and his son, Ewan, were there as well. So it was nice just to have five minutes with them just to reflect on what was going on and try and take it all in. I think it was a club dinner later that year when one of my Scottish colleagues, Eric Young, had mentioned that there was a global audience for the match of, I think it was, it was 80 or 90 million at Paul and Morley. <laughs> Glad I wasn't thinking about that at the time. Well, amazing to be, you know, a part of history. Such a fantastic day for Scottish cricket. And yeah, in many ways, the most historic day for Scottish cricket. So going back to the very beginning, and uh, you, you mentioned Samantha, I'm getting a, a wee bit of deja vu uh, talking about this next part and asking you this next question. How did cricket begin for you? It began for me at the age of eight. Um, my dad packed David and I off to cricket practice. I didn't even know what cricket was. And 
why I was going there, but for some reason we were late. Some people might say that's normal for me. And they were they were actually packing the stuff up when we arrived. It was that well, that late. But the guy that was taking the, the practice that night, he was so kind to us. He didn't say you're far too late. You'll turn up in time in future. He said, "Sorry, son, we're actually by, but if you come over to the cricket club, we're, we're showing a, a cine film with some football and cricket. You'll get some coke and crisps." So that's what we did. We watched a, I think it was a cine film of the World Cup and. 1966 and all the test cricket that got on that summer so we're sitting watching this and drinking our coke and eating crisps and I thought it's a great place <laughs> and I've never been away since um, my father as I mentioned he, he played for Kilmarnock he played for Ayr and he played for Preston my grandfather played for Kelly as well I mean at that time David and I we played cricket all year round in the, in the garden during the summer it was like test matches you had to get 10 wickets before you got a shot to bat so generally, David would bowl for a day and a half, get the 10th wicket. I would bowl for 10 minutes. Um, we would fall out and there'd be a fight and I wouldn't have to bowl. So he, he likes to remind me of that one. Other early recollections were, again, the two of us and a couple of friends we had around the corner. We used to go along the cricket club with a metal bucket, you know, the plastic bag tennis ball set up and we'd play down there as well. So as we got slightly older, we were older than the ground, we'd have to go and get the keys from the caretaker. She was an old lady called Mrs Smith. And it was always the young ones that were sent over to Mrs Smith to get the keys and she was never that um, willing to, to release these keys to you. So that was that, that tended to be our job. And then uh, it's, uh, I think it was about 1977, we got our first pro at the club, West Indian, called uh, Richard Suttle. So the nets were there all day for us. That's what we did. We did it in the morning till lunchtime, came back one in the afternoon. And then the Wednesday, Friday, you were back at night. So it was just wall-to-wall cricket for us at that time. Which stood us all in good stead when we started playing senior cricket. Guys like myself, David, Andy Tennant, Clark Robertson, the Rigby's, you know. All these guys were just playing cricket all the time. Had a pretty modest playing career. Played with Presswick initially in the Glasgow League. I had one year at Kilmarnock in the Western Union when I'd, uh, I'd be tempted there for a year, and which was quite nice, the fact that we had a bit of a family tradition there, so it was nice to have done that. Uh, it was good cricket, playing against very, very good players, which stood me in good stead. Uh, went back to Presswick, and a few years later we joined the Scottish Counties as Ayrshire. We tried to get into Western Union, which was a closed shop, so we were invited into the counties in 1983. So I played there for about 10 years, Played in the National League once that came about after that and then finished up in the second eleven. But yeah, pretty modest career. I was I was more interested in, in part of a, a good team of boys, good bunch of lads, no, no superstars, but we all we all worked hard together and did quite well. Highlights probably were in the, the Scottish counties in 1990 and 91, um, with all your pals. Both years, nine out of the eleven were homegrown players, so that's the way it was at Presswood. Biggest disappointment. I hate to bring it up, but I didn't actually play in the match. I think I was president that year. We lost the Scottish Cup final in 1980 to Grange by one, as Henry Thau would say, miserable run. And that did just stick in the throat of a lot of guys. Up even now, we talk about it with a lot of regret. It would have been the first ever Scottish Cup for our club, whereas, you know, it was just another day for Grange. Unfortunately, they knew how to win, and that's what happened. 
the last match I actually was lucky enough to play with my daughter. Sunday league game, we bowled 16 overs in tandem. No, I didn't bowl at all. So it was good. It was good laugh, good fun bowling in tandem with her. Eight overs at either end. I did bowl two overs in the counties right now. I think we're trying to weed out people out. I would have chucked up a few leggies. My record in the counties was two overs, two maidens, none from none. So I didn't want to bowl again after that. I was quite happy with that. So that was the start of my, my cricketing life before I decided that I'd done my bit and I would start watching other people <laughs> do their bit. So how did the first steps in umpiring come? Well, I stopped playing in 2005, I think it was. Uh, I think I spent that year mainly watching Presswick and travelling about with a, wee, a group of people that would travel about to the away games, would, would organise buses and stuff like that. So I quite enjoyed doing that. At that time, they were, the league were looking for umpires and they were encouraging clubs to send people to the, the courses that winter. I just felt that maybe I was one of the people that could help out, maybe do a few games for them. And I had done quite a lot of umpiring. I was looking after the Presswood Juniors for a number of years. So during the course of that, you do quite a lot of umpiring at nights, doing, doing their games. So it wasn't totally alien to me. At the start of the season, I thought, your games see how it went. I was umpiring in the Western Union. And did okay. I enjoyed it. So I just kept going and managed by the end of the year. I think I got a couple of the first division games. Following year, I uh, got some Premier games to do. So I was starting to progress and quite enjoying it. Other people thought I was quite good. I wasn't so sure. Uh, but 2011, I think it was, that um, Masako nominated me for ICC Europe. And I went my first trip to Belgium in 2011. It was just it was T20 Euro qualifiers. First match, I think, was between Greece and Malta. And the first ball of my international career, uh, it was a leg spinner was opening the bowling and the batsman nicked it. So I had a wicket off my first first ever ball in international cricket. Earlier on, I was in Guernsey next year for under-15s, progressed in the Netherlands in 2013 for an under-19 qualifier, which was quite a good event to be at. But I was one of only two that weren't on the elite panel at that time. The elite panel for ICC Europe, that is... Uh, the next year, I think I was elected on the elite panel, which didn't last too long because they, they, they changed the whole setup after that, and it, it became one ICC panel for the, the associate and affiliate nations. Big break probably for me was 2015. I was meant to be doing a tournament in Sussex, and I got a call that I wasn't doing the tournament, but um, could I go to Singapore to do a, a World Cricket League? So that was quite a prestigious event. Um, it was Division 4 World Cricket League, which was quite a nice one to do. This year I made my first-class debut, Scotland versus Afghanistan at Stirling, but it rained quite a lot of the time, as it does at Stirling. And uh, the next year I was doing my first ODI, Scotland versus UAE at the Grange. So it was two matches there. I made my T20 international debut in 2018, I think it was. It was just after the England game. Um, against Scotland against Pakistan at the Grange and um, done a few ODIs and T20s since then and that's, that's up to present day really. that's, that's, that's where it began I remember hearing that there was a story around your first appearance at Lords as well Yes Jake there was indeed um, less than 24 hours notice for my debut appearance at Lords <laughs> what had happened was I, was I was doing a game at Ayr it was Ayr against Stirling there was no prospects of that game when it get played. There was puddles everywhere and again. So we called that game off. Um, plan B 
was to contact my young nephew, Cameron, who was desperate to go at the Kelly game that day. And as his father couldn't take him, I picked him up quite close to the ground and we headed off down the, the air bypass, at which time I had a phone call. And it was one of these long, dodgy numbers which you don't normally answer. But for some reason, curiosity, I think, got the better of me and I decided to answer it. And it was Thomas McCoy from the ICC asking me if I would be available to stand in a match at Lord's the next day. It was between the tri-series between the MCC, Netherlands and Nepal. And the Nepalese umpire that was meant to be coming, I think, if you remember, they had, they had massive floods at that time. And he, he couldn't get out of Nepal, couldn't get to the airport to get his flight to London. So we were desperately hunting for an umpire to do, to do that match. That was the Nepalese umpire. But I didn't even think about it. it. wasn't so I wasn't thinking too much about the logistics of the thing. It was uh, yes, I will be there. Uh, it was actually due to be going down to Essex for a tournament on the, the next day in the Sunday anyway. So it was just a slight change to the plans. But yeah, that was that was um, quite an experience. My colleague uh, from the Netherlands, Reese Akram. I mean, Reese had known about it for six months, and he'd been really looking forward to this thing for six months. Whereas I was kind of told at the last minute, which was slightly different. And as chance would have it, at that time there hadn't been a drop of rain in London for six weeks. And you, of course you know what happened when I arrived in London the next morning. It was quite strange. I was sitting having my breakfast with, with Reese in the hotel and I'd arrived in the dark. It was quite late. The taxi driver had gone a long convoluted way to get to the hotel. It was only when I looked out the window, I saw Lord's Cricket Ground right across from me. I didn't even realise I was beside the ground. I thought it was miles away from it, which was quite strange. The MCC umpire was Ben Debenham. So Ben, ben was the representative. Went over to the ground, it was raining. Our chaperone gave us a wee tour of the, the ground, which was nice. Up with the media centre, the score box. They put our name up in lights for us in there for a quick, quick photo. We managed to get uh, six overs aside in the first two games. The first two games it was MCC against Netherlands and then MCC against Nepal. So they kept the, the third game was Netherlands Nepal. It was an actual T20 international. So they kept the start time for that in stone and, and reduced the other two games, which uh, went official, if you like. Jaya Wardner was seen with the captain, the MCC, was batting, and the, the scorers had made a mistake. They put Sanger Carrot in the board. So when he came down to my end, I just kind of said, you changed your name or whatever, or something like that. And he looked up and smiled. The next time he went down to the back, he changed the left hand and an even bigger smile. <laughs> but uh, I think Ali, Ali was playing, Ali Evans, Dylan Budge and Wattie were playing as well for the MCC that day. So that was a, that was a pleasant surprise. I see I was going to a tournament in Essex the next day anyway, so after... After we we got invited to long room after the matches, and after that headed over to, to Essex. And the funny thing was that the next day, Ryan Tindith de Shatter, who was Essex captain, he was doing a, a quite an inspirational speech for all the, the lads at the start of the tournament. And after that finished, Sean Ells was talking to him, and Sean called me over to introduce me to, to Ryan. And he said, nice to meet you. And Sean said, you've already met, met him. He gave you out yesterday. He says, I thought I bloody recognise you from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> he says, yeah, I was miles out, so that, that, that was all good. What have been the other highlights of your umpiring career so far? I don't know if there's any particular highlights. Um, I think to be involved in so many tournaments and matches, 
and made so many good friends through the, the, the cricket over these years. You meet a lot of the same guys at, the, at um, a lot of these these events. You enjoy each other's company, support each other at the events, and there's a good bit of camaraderie. Likes of um, a good pal from Denmark, Jesper Jensen, who's been over to Scotland a couple of times, stayed with us, and umpired a couple of Scottish games with him. And Heath Cairns from Jersey was, was his intention to do that this year until obviously this uh, pandemic took over. So, yeah, the, obviously the England game was it's going to be hard to beat that. But I don't remember too much from matches anyway. So, yeah, I think just generally been involved in the whole setup and meeting a lot of great people. We've kind of alluded to it a little bit already, but you have the unique opportunity to see the best players in the world at very close quarters. Who have been the ones that have really stood out? Yeah, you're right, Jake. There's been, there's been a few. Um, again, getting back to England game, as we, as we spoke about earlier, Johnny Bairstow, I mean, that's that's probably the finest innings I've, I've witnessed firsthand. Uh, the same day, Joe Root didn't get too many, but he's one of the best players in the world. And to see him at close quarters, it, it was just effortless for him. Rashid Khan of uh, Afghanistan, I've umpired him in the UAE. Obviously very, very high, highly rated in world circles these days. He, he's, a, he's a very, very good bowler. One boy I saw, I was doing a second game at Kent a few years ago. And I noticed he's now in the, the England training games that they're doing, a boy called Ollie Robinson, who he actually came, it was a, a three-day game and he, he came in on day two or three they can chop and change players about if somebody gets called to a county match. So the boy Robinson, I think he, the week before for the Kent age group team, he scored 250 in a match. He would be 16 or 17, so he, he walked out to bat and just proceeded to hook his first ball for four. I think he made 30 or 40 that day and just he, he looked a fantastic cricketer. And I'm just, I just noticed the other day that he was involved in the England training, training camp. So that's, that's one... To watch, I think he's a wicketkeeper as well. He didn't keep that day. That, that's certainly three that um, three or four that I've uh, I've witnessed up front. That've been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and, and in terms of Scottish players, who are the again the standouts that you've seen over over the years? Well, I think I think the Scotland team, a bit like what I was talking about, the Moen team. They're all um, there's no superstars there. They're all they're a, they're a good team unit. If you were pressing me to pick anybody, that maybe I would pay money to watch. And, I like to watch Kyle bat. I think he's very, very aggressive. He hits the ball so cleanly. I wanted someone to bat for my for my life. I think uh, Callum would be the man. He never gives anything away. He does uh, have your heart in your mouth, and the amount of times he sweeps off middle stump <laughs> when you're at, when you're umpiring. But he very rarely, if ever, misses any. So that's his shot. I remember him actually as when I was looking after our kids under fifteens. Callum had, I think he'd been down south, he'd come back up and played a game for Drumpeller, who he was still age group, he was still able to do that. Drumpeller hadn't won a game all season, and we were going for the title, I think, that year, and we lost Drumpeller purely because Callum made 80-odd and took a few wickets. I haven't dug him up about that one yet, but that, that day will come. Bowling-wise, uh, Martin Robert, young lad, he's controlled, he's, he's got a great future in front of him. Richie Berrington, very, very consistent and absolutely brilliant fielder. But a good bunch of lads as well. And that brilliant fielding unit, right up there as a fielding unit in world cricket, I would guess. And, of course, you've worked with some illustrious fellow umpires and match referees as well. Oh, yeah, there's been been quite a number. Uh, Michael Goff, as I mentioned earlier, Michael, 
I did a tournament with Michael um, in Jersey a couple of years ago. He's a really nice guy, really nice lad. Just he's exactly the same as us down to earth. Likes his footy, Hartlepool fan. Likes a beer with the boys. Um, he actually retired at twenty three. Um, he decided that he he didn't enjoy playing cricket anymore. I think he was playing with Durham at the time, and he wanted to umpire. So that was somebody that identified a pathway very, very early on in their life. Uh, he's a good guy, but we were at a karaoke night once in Jersey, one of the one of the nights off and at the end of the trip. We put him up for dreadlock holiday. You know, I, I don't like cricket, but uh, he refused to go anywhere near it. But, uh, Michael's he's a, he's a good lad. Uh, Asim Raza, Pakistan. He was the guy that, that was shot in the... The minibus, night two thousand and nine in Lahore, the Sri Lankan bus gets shot at the numbers bus as well, and Asan I think gets shot twice. I think Chris Broad actually had to jump over him and try and save him. So he was very very lucky to survive that. Um, I think that was at the very start of his umpiring career. He was maybe doing some third umpiring then, but he's become one of the the, the top umpires. Uh, umpired with him in UAE, I think it was, and. Very, very confident, very assured of himself. He's very good uh, with, with quite a uh, rookie third umpire on that trip. And Asan spent so much time with him, helping him. He was really, really helpful for the guy, which he didn't need to do at that level. But yeah, he, he was good. Of course, I was sitting at breakfast and he looked at me and he said, I umpired in Scotland. I said, oh, did you go to jump out? They named one or two guys and they said in Presswick. And I said, You've not umpired at Presswick. This is Presswick. You do umpire international matches at Presswick. And he said, Oh, I umpired in the league. And he says, And if you don't believe me, you ask Sandy Scotland or Mac, or Mac what's his name? <laughs> I thought, well, he knows these guys. <laughs> uh, very good. Recently, I've uh, umpired Alec Worth, boy that played for Yorkshire, uh, Nottingham, Glamorgan. Uh, I think he played 13 with. DIs for England as well. Alec again, like Michael, lovely down to earth guy, vegetarian, meticulous in his preparation. But I think he's uh, he's going to be the next big thing in two or three years. I would predict that you'll, you'll make the elite panel. We also were lucky enough to have uh, Gunnar Gould at one of our trips to Jersey. He was uh, acting as a mentor. We came to watch myself and Jesper the, the first game we did T Twenty, um, which was that was quite imposing when you've got Gunnar Gould watching it, your every move. But we got the game done, no problems, and into the dressing room, lads, we'll just have a quick chat. We're going, oh shit, what have we done wrong here? And they just sat us down. They said, uh, "You guys did everything we talked about uh, during the, the workshop. We're absolutely brilliant out there." There's not an effort could complain about anything you did out there. Well done, lads. Walked out the door. That was that. That was the end. Of it. That was the, that was our dressing down with with Gunnar uh, and Marie. Obviously, I, again another lovely guy, down to earth guy, very laid back, friendly guy. Likes his rugby. Um, obviously does his preparation as well because the, the first time we met at the Grange, he, he rattled off a couple of. Bits of information that he knew about myself, so that he'd done his done his groundwork there as well. You know, which is what we do in these trips. You try and find out about the people that you're going to be working with. But yeah, really, really, really nice guy. 
just so, so laid back and relaxed to be with. Jeff Crow, I remember as a match referee, the first Scotland-England game I did as a third umpire up in Aberdeen. And Jeff sat, it was myself, Ian Ramage and Mark Hawthorne. He sat us down in the hotel, I think it was the morning of the game, or said, Alan, what's your duties today? And I'd done my preparation, I told Jeff all the things that I was going to do. And he just looked me in the eye and he said, no, Alan, your job is to make sure Mr Botham doesn't get on the match pitch. Good luck. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the thing about the boys at that level, they're all just, they're just ordinary blokes like you and I. And they've got down their own pathways to get where they are, but uh, every one of them is very, very helpful and good to be with. A lot of people as well are fascinated by the battles that take place in the middle that aren't particularly obvious from the stands. Um, do you remember any particular duels or sledging battles, another area of fascination that, that people that people have for the game um, that, that you've witnessed when you've been, uh, you've been umpiring? I don't think you get so much of that at ODI or T20 cricket. It's probably more multi-day. I remember one... The state level was an Uddingston versus Stenish Moor Scottish Cup match. And Callum McLeod was playing for Uddingston at the time. It was a lad, Yasser Arafat, uh, who was playing for Stenish Muir, quite a fiery character. Um, so the two of them were going to each other for quite a while. It was a bit of chat, which Yasser gets involved with. Callum knew that he could wind them up, and, and he was doing so. So I had to have a quiet word with the two of them from time to time, just to keep it, keep a lid on it. And, Callum would come up to my head and I'd say, Callum, stop it. Said, and he just smiles at once. He says, you wind him up. He says, I know, because it's too easy. So they had another go at each other and the vets, the vets said to Yasser, I said, ask him. And he came over to me. He, he knew I was serious by this time and he was, I could see the worried looking face. I says, once more, and you're not getting your sweeties back. So my sweeties in my pocket. And that's kind of defeated. He just burst out laughing. Callum burst out laughing and got into the game. So that's, that tends to be the way I like to do with things rather than getting the, the yellow and red cards out all the time. <laughs> but uh, and not, I don't think you get to There's not too much sledging at uh, the international level. They're all quite respectful. You don't get too much of that nowadays. More at club level, I would guess. Uh, there's one, again, that I do remember from... Twenty in Jersey, Italy were playing Denmark. Carol Sandri, I think his name is. Good cricketer. I think he played in the IPL for a while as well, which was quite quite surprising. But Carol was always getting involved. Um and he'd come on the bat. His boots, he'd obviously been told off his boots probably didn't conform because he'd put blue tape all over them to try and make them look, you know, like his uniform. So he walked on to back, walked by um, Freddie Clocker, who was the Denmark keeper. Freddie said nothing to him, although he'd obviously noticed his boots. So Carol took guard, he was just about to face up, and Freddie just said simply, nice boots, Carol. The ball came and Carol just, just skied up into the air without first ball. Just laughing at him. Not a happy bunny. But no, not, not too much sledging, not too much. Talking of famous umpires, I remember here Dickie Bird 
talking about when, whenever it rained, it was him that got the grief from the spectators. Uh, the weather, I guess, yeah. is the constant opponent, particularly in, in Scotland. But you have the extra pressure of having to decide when play can resume or not, as the case may be. How does that uh, work out? Well, I think, uh, firstly, in, in Scotland, I'm the Scottish dicky bird because I tend to get the blame for a lot of the weather that happens up here. Last year's ODIs against Sri Lanka and Afghanistan, it was it was my game that was rained off both times. So it tends to be that I'm getting the blame for that. And Mr. Mr. Potter's always on my case about it as well. But, yeah, when we do have um, weather situations, it's actually it's a very, very busy time for us. For players, it's a pain in the arse, and they're, they're, they're really... It's, it can be long and, long and drawn out for them sitting in a dressing room, but for us... Um, we're communicating all the time with captains, groundsmen, scorers, caterers, match referees, players. Every player you bump into is asking you what's going to happen. So there's always the, the, the time spent um, doing a lot of these things. We also will spend a lot of time doing calculations of uh, likely scenarios. So we'll be in the, the bowels of the building working out how many of we could possibly get. Uh, if the rain goes off an hour, etc., etc. So, well, between us, we'll all do a couple of these. So, we'll maybe get five or six different times. So, we go, all these things are done. We can just we can go and get the game started. We've got to take into account, obviously, the time it takes to remove the covers, which the groundsman will give us an indication of. The captains will give us an indication of how long they need for their warm ups. Factor all these things in. But once the the rain is off and once the covers are off we're going to be good to go we will then just work out the, the best scenario of the ones we've worked out we'll make it make sure it works out with our times as well and then then we're, we're good to go and form firstly match referee he's uh, he's got to be told first match referees do not want to hear it second hand from somebody we get the captains then scorers announcers caterers etc but yes it actually goes quite quickly during the rain affected day for us before the start as well, we'll, we'll write everything down on a, a sheet that we've devised at the start times. The overs we're going to play, bowlers restrictions, our players, and we'll hand these to captains as well. But it's a lot easier being on the field, I can assure you, than involved in the weather situation. Talking of on-field as well, and again, it's something that you touched on before with the with the England game, but I suppose that there's no other part of of the sport that's been more revolutionised by technology than than umpiring. You know, with DRS, the third umpire, and 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 so on. Do you think that the introduction of technology has made umpires bolder or more careful in their decision making? If there's been any change in in that at all? When we speak to a lot of the guys that do a lot of the DRS stuff, um, most will just say that they they umpire the game as they have normally done. The common consensus is there's more LBWs nowadays because of DRS, you know, people on the front foot that probably weren't given out before. When you actually look at the stats uh, from history, the stats are very, very similar um, pre-DRS. But most, most guys will just tell them part of the match in the, 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 normal manner, the, the normal manner. DRS was brought in to eliminate howlers. Um, but I suppose the umpires in the DRS games have the peace of mind that mistakes can be rectified. In a match that you know could have been decided in one of their errors could be sorted at that time. Whereas if we do it in our cricket, there's, there's, there's no going back on that. 
fact, if you go back to the Ashes Test match at Headingley a couple of years ago, when um, Stokes was batting at the end with the one wicket to win for Australia, and Lions, I think it was, had Stokes plum LBW. The Australia had given up the review the over before. Um, it was given not out, and it was subsequent, subsequently found to be out. Now, for the umpire at that time, he, he's given that and what he's seen. He's up thought the ball's just sliding on, it's going to miss slight stump, where it actually gripped and, and turned a bit. The easy way out, I suppose, for him would have been to give that out and let England use their review. I think it was Michael Goff said to me in the lead-up to England game as well. And it was probably looking at a situation like that, and his words were, don't be a hero. If you get it wrong, which happened in that case, uh, it costs it changed the whole match. Yeah, I think it's like they know balls at the top level. Are, they don't tend to get called unless less are obvious. And the reason they'll do that is if you call a no ball and a wicket falls and it's it's found it wasn't a no ball, there is no recourse for the bowler. But the play go, the wicket falls, check the no ball. That's the way they do it. The law is different from the regs. The law tend to side with the batsman and the, the regulation, the ICC regulation, will, will go with the bowler. Well, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Just just one final question. Uh, there is a shortage of umpires nationally. What would you say to someone to encourage them into umpiring? Well, I would say, and I quite often do say to, to current players that are maybe coming towards the end of their career, there are great opportunities for Scottish umpires. We've, we've now got a regional panel, 12 umpires, six from the west, six from the east, which allows you to, to do all the regional matches. And the three Scottish international representatives will be taken from that panel. So there's a good pathway into this international cricket for any up-and-coming umpire. Even more so if Scotland were to attain full member status, there would be a much greater need for, um, for umpires at that level as well. But Scotland are now getting their house in order. We've got the, the panel in place should that happen. It gives you a chance to officiate at a lot higher level than, than you maybe played yourself as well, which is certainly, uh, in my case, that, that, that is, that's what has happened. I think these guys have got to identify when you maybe reach your, your wall or your pinnacle in your playing career and maybe take that decision to, to change over. I said earlier, Michael Goff did that at 23. And he's now in the elite panel. He could be there for years. He's still quite a young guy. But they are looking. I mean, they're looking for younger umpires. It's no longer the the old guys that are doing these jobs. The younger, the better. They, they can catch them up. But the opportunities for for young umpires. Well, Alan, it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you. Uh, as I say, thank you so much again for giving up your time and and sharing those memories with us. Jake, that's my, my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Enjoyed it. And that's it for the Cricket Scotland podcast for another week. I will be back next week, but until then, take care and I'll see you soon.